Well, I do invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 107. I'm going to take a little break from our study of Joshua this, this, uh, this Lord's Day, and we'll get back to it next week, Lord willing. But I wanted to spend a little time getting us into a thankful mode of thinking. Uh, remember, I forget who said it, but uh, someone said, Thanksgiving is good, thanks living is better. So to have grateful and thankful hearts always is something that we should have as believers in the Lord. Well, Psalm 107 tells us this, this psalm of thanksgiving. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships. Doing business on the great waters, they saw the deeds of the Lord and his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad. And all wickedness shuts its mouth. 
Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. Well, Governor William Bradford, in his account of the founding of the Plymouth Settlement, explicitly referred to Psalm 107 in his well-known summation of their achievement. He wrote, May not and ought not the children of these fathers rightly say, Our fathers were Englishmen who came over the great ocean and were ready to perish in this wilderness. But they cried unto the Lord, and he heard their voice and looked on their adversity. Let them therefore praise the Lord, because he is good, and his mercies endure forever. Yes, let them which have been redeemed of the Lord show how he hath delivered them from the hand of the oppressor. When they wandered in the desert, wilderness out of the way, and found no city to dwell in, both hungry and thirsty, their soul was overwhelmed in them. Let them confess before the Lord his loving kindness and his wonderful works before the sons of men. So Psalm 107 fueled the thanksgiving for our pilgrim forefathers, and I hope that it fuels yours today as well. One commentator speculated that Psalm 107 may have been the subject of the sermon preached as they worshipped on the ship the day before they uh, uh, embarked into the United States. Uh, They came ashore on a Monday, so they spent Sunday worshipping on the boat. And they gave thanks to the Lord for how he had brought them to this new land. And may we, like them, give thanks to the Lord this Thanksgiving week, for God is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Now, obviously, this psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving, uh, since it begins with a command to give thanks to the Lord. Thank you, Captain Obvious. The word rendered thanks here has the meaning of a public confession of thanks and praise. There is a focus on the content of praise, spoken out loud and usually in the context of community, of course, the worshiping community. The psalm follows this pattern. As it is sung or read, God's great acts of steadfast love are rehearsed. It is not enough to simply say, thank you, Lord, or praise the Lord, We must recount why we are thanking the Lord. For what are we thankful? Why should the Lord be praised? The psalmist answers, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, it makes sense, doesn't it? Have you ever had someone tell you, oh, thank you? And you're not really sure why they're thanking you. And you, you may, may even ask, now, well, why are you thanking me? And then the best part would be, and the me- most meaningful part would be when the person says, because you helped me with this, or because you were there for me, or thank you for being a friend to me in my time of need. We could go on. So when we're thanking the Lord and praising the Lord, we need to be specific about it. And that's what the psalmist is doing. He's telling us four, at least Four very specific accounts of people being delivered by the Lord, saved by the Lord. The psalmist is specific. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And this morning, 
I want to examine these things that are in this psalm, particularly God's goodness, then God's steadfast love, and then finally God's redemption. Now, the theme of this psalm is God's steadfast love, as I will demonstrate in just a moment. But God's goodness is also mentioned here and is often mentioned along with steadfast love in the Old Testament. For example, if you look at our call to worship this morning, the very last line says, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. I could have given you uh, numerous other Old Testament examples where that very statement or something similar to that statement is made. God is good, and it is connected, which I'll show you in a moment, to his steadfast love. Now, the statement that God is good is not that God is good for something. You know, if you've ever been told, like I've been told, when I was a teenager working at my family's business, you know, you're really good for nothing. And it was hurtful at the time. Uh, but sometimes people are described as good for nothing. They're, they're, they're not useful. Uh, they don't have anything to, to offer. So they're good for nothing. Um, the statement, God is good, is not saying that God is useful, that he's good for something. That may be true, but that's not what this is saying. This call to give thanks to the Lord is not because God has provided good things in the lives of the redeemed. And he very well may have done so. And, of course, the four accounts here tell us that he did so. He delivered them from their distress. But this statement that God is good is about who God is, not about what he has done. The psalmist is thanking God for who he is, the good God. And goodness is a divine attribute, a description of God's essential character. R.C. Sproul says, goodness, the goodness of God means that the Lord is not evil, that he does not love sin, and indeed cannot even be tempted with evil. In this way, it is synonymous with some aspects of what we typically call divine holiness, which refers both to God's being set apart from everything else and to his moral character. Divine goodness is also closely connected to divine justice. Goodness abhors evil, so punishing evil is intrinsic to what it means for God to be good and just. The Lord forbids human judges from perverting justice, and that is not surprising because all his ways are just. Consequently, divine wrath in the service of divine justice is one way in which God manifests his goodness to his creation. Things will be made right by God one day, even in the face of all the injustice that we see in the world. God is always good and cannot be anything but good. God is good and cannot be anything but good. But sometimes we doubt his goodness, don't we? When things go contrary to our desires, we wonder if God is good. Well, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? That's exactly what Satan did, the serpent did, when he tempted Adam and Eve. He called into question God's goodness. 
he asked Eve, he says, did God say that you can't eat of any tree of the garden? And she replied, you, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, what he's doing is saying God is not good. He's withholding something from you. He knows that if he gives you this thing, you'll be better off. And, and he's not good. He's calling into question God's goodness. And, of course, they fell for it. The, women, the, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So it's uh, now uh, a natural human response for us to question the goodness of God. Habakkuk, the prophet, was one of one such person. His, his, uh, his book is full of complaints to the Lord. Um, he complains to the Lord. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. He's complaining. God, if you're good, then why are you allowing evil to take over? And God responds. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And he goes on to describe how he's got a plan, and it's a good plan for God's people. It may not seem so at the time, but his ways are much deeper than our ways. But God is good. So whatever he's doing can never not be good. So you think about that in your life. You wonder, what's going on, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? Well, we can always trust and, and give thanks because God is always good. If you are in a covenant relationship with the Lord, then you should trust that your good God has your best interests at heart, no matter what the circumstances, no matter how difficult the circumstances. And I know that some of you have some extremely difficult circumstances. But give thanks to our God. He is always good. Now he goes on, talks about steadfast love. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. God's steadfast love is an exercise of this goodness. Goodness is a general characteristic of God. God is good, but steadfast love is more specific. Now the word steadfast love is one word in the Hebrew, and the word in Hebrew is chesed. And it's sometimes translated mercy or loving kindness or just love. I like that the ESV, the version that I'm using, uses steadfast love to translate this word. Because there are other words that mean love. There's another word for loving kindness and mercy besides chesed. Uh, but this one is more than just love or mercy or loving kindness. It is a love that is loyal. Uh, it is an unfailing kindness or devotion. 
It is a love that is steadfast based on a prior relationship. It's, it's covenant love. It's the, it's the love God has for the people to whom he has bound himself. He is committed to those people. That's specifically the love that's being talked about here. It's God's constant faith and love to his specific people, the redeemed of the Lord. And so it's a very special love. Now, yes, God uh, does have love for the world. He has a general benevolence for his creation. The, the, the kindness that he bestows on all of his created people and his, his creation. And, you know, it's things like uh, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. You know, they, they all get the benefit of rain. It's a general display of his goodness to all of creation. But steadfast love that we're talking about here is a specific love only for believers, for the redeemed of the Lord. And if you're not in relationship with the Lord today, God is still good. But one day that goodness will manifest itself in eternal judgment coming down on your sin. God cannot remain good if he leaves sin unpunished. And everybody's a sinner, so that's the dilemma that human beings have. And if, you're, if you are a believer, then that judgment you deserve for your sin was borne by Jesus Christ on the cross. That punishment, that judgment was fully felt by Jesus there. He bore our sins on the cross, the penalty for them. It was poured out upon him when he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Your judgment was laid on him if you're a believer, and now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, united to him by faith in a covenant relationship with him. Steadfast love he has for you. J.I. Packer says, God's steadfast love is an exercise of his goodness toward individual sinners, whereby having identified himself with their welfare, he has given his son to be their savior and now brings them to know and enjoy him in a covenant relation. That is God's chesed, his steadfast love, that we can give thanks to the Lord because he is good and his steadfast love. Love endures forever. If you're a believer today, today and forever, God has steadfast love for you. Covenant love, loyal love. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And he is always good. So everything that he does, allows in your life is for your good and his glory. Even the painful things that we endure. He is committed to you, and he's good. Well, the third thing we want to see here is God's redemption. How is the steadfast love manifested towards human beings? We have four examples here of redemption. The word, you know, he says, uh, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. That word redeemed is used in a lot of different contexts in the Bible. It can be used about property, such as houses. You can buy something back. Uh, it's kind of like going to the pawn shop. You can get something back, pay, pay, it, pay, the, pay the fee and get it back. Uh, it's it's uh, the word that is used to buy freedom for a person who is 
had to go into slavery because of debt. Their debts have been paid off, and so they're delivered from slavery. Um, it can be used of, uh, of a male relative marrying uh, a female relative who has been left a childless widow, and so she is delivered from her childlessness. Think of uh, Boaz and Ruth, the story of Ruth. He's the kinsman redeemer, and that's what he's doing. He's, he's delivering her from childlessness, giving her uh, an heir. So it can mean deliver, redeem, rescue. All of these elements are in this word redeem. And we see the four examples. We've got the people who are wandering around. They're, they're homeless. They're destitute. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They're ready to give up. And they cry to the Lord and he delivers them. He leads them, verse 7, by a straight way until they reach the city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. That's his steadfast love in action. If you're lost and wandering today and you cry to the Lord, he will bring you home. Verse 10. These are the people who rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. And so... They got consequences for that. They were imprisoned. Um, one thinks of perhaps the people on the exile who were taken uh, by the Babylonians and, and uh, had to suffer that removal from their homeland. But they cried to the Lord and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Isn't that wonderful? He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Even those people who had rebelled against the Lord and they had spurned the counsels of the Most High, if they cry to the Lord, he will rescue them. And then, verse 17, we talked about before, the fools. Uh, these people are so stupid, uh, they've ruined their lives. Uh, they've ruined, they've physically ruined their lives through their foolish, foolish ways. And they were about to die, but they cried to the Lord. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. And then finally, the ones who are in dire circumstances, particularly these folks who are in the sea and ships. And uh, they encounter a, a great storm. And they, they reeled and staggered like drunken men, verse 27, and were at their wits end. And... You know, maybe today you're at your wit's end in your circumstances. You're not on the sea, but you're being tossed and, and thrown about by the storms of life. Well, what'd they do? They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress, and he made the storms still. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. Well... All four of these accounts have something in common. Uh, wherever you are today, spiritually speaking, the, the common thread through this is that they called upon the Lord. You may think that your situation is so bad or you know, you've messed things up so completely or you've just lived too much of a rebellious life for the Lord to, to redeem you. That is false. God is good and, and God is able and willing. 
All you got to do is call on the Lord in your distress, in your trouble, and he will deliver you from your distress. And that's what verses 33 through 42 is all about. Uh, how God takes something that's uh, you know, desert waste and turns it into beautiful springs. God takes the plight of, of people who were beyond hope and gives them a land and they're fruitful and everything's changed. It's a, it's a picture of how God can take things that seem impossible to change like a desert and completely transforms it. And God can do that in anyone's life. He is powerful and if he's set his love upon you, if you call upon him, he will set his steadfast love on you because he is good and he will do good to you. But we must call on the Lord in our trouble so that he can deliver us from our distress. God loves us so much. He's committed to us. Isn't that something to be thankful for, to rejoice in? And we forget that love and doubt that love, as I mentioned before. Well, God, God never changes. Uh, God remains the same. And sometimes our circumstances make us want to doubt that, but that's a mistake. J.I. Packer says this, Is it true that God is love to me as a Christian? And does the love of God mean all that has been said? If so, certain questions arise. Why do I ever grumble and show discontent and resentment at the circumstances in which God has placed me? Why am I ever distrustful, fearful, or depressed? Why do I ever allow myself to grow cool, formal, and half-hearted in the service of the God who loves me so? Why do I ever allow my loyalties to be divided so that God has not all my heart? John wrote that God is love in order to, to make an ethical appointment an ethical point. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Could an observer learn from the quality and degree of love that I show to others, my wife, my husband, my family, my neighbors, people at church, people at work, anything at all about the greatness of God's love to me? Meditate upon these things. Examine yourself. And the last verse, of course, calls us. Whoever is wise... Let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. And let us give thanks, for the Lord is good, and his steadfast love never ends. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we do thank you for your steadfast love. And I pray that we would all experience that today. Uh, Lord, if there's someone here who is lost or rebellious or just foolish in life and has brought uh, difficulties into their lives because of their foolishness or, or someone whose circumstances are beyond their control and they didn't do anything, but, Lord, they're going through uh, a, a terrible trial. Lord, we pray that all of us would call upon you in our distress. And, Lord, we pray that you would redeem and rescue and especially pray for those who are uh, who are not in that covenant relationship with you, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself and just help them, Lord, to call upon you. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So, Lord, I pray that you would give them a heart to call upon you and that they would see the mercy and loving kindness and the hesed, the steadfast love of the Lord poured out upon them. 
And Lord, we pray that uh, you would help us to take this love as we enjoy it ourselves and share it with others, to love others. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to become a loving people uh, that would be so uh, loving that other people would want to know, what do we have? What do we know? Why are we this way? And, Lord, may we be bold and courageous to tell them, to point them to Jesus. And, Lord, thank you. Again, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, sometimes we condemn ourselves, and, the, of course, the accuser, Satan, acu- uh, condemns us. And, but, Lord, thank you that you are our advocate, our, our intercessor. You are pleading for us at the throne of grace. And, Lord, thank you for that love that never quits doing what is best for us. And, Lord, we pray that we would do our best for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.